everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for episode one of season six of the Revise and Resubmit podcast. That's right. Um, I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Volan, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama. And we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR at UA. Today, we're catching up with one of our previous guests in the fourth of our What's New series. And that's how we're kicking off season six. Today, we are catching up with Dr. Matt Van Dyke, an associate professor in the Department and public relations, as well as the newly appointed interim department chair of advertising and public relations. He didn't have either one of those titles when we talked to him two years ago. That's right. So when we last talked to Matt, we were all still on lockdown and we were recording from separate spaces across town. And sometimes we still do that. Uh, Matt was talking with us about the work that he does in science communication. There was some talk about fracking. I think that we were both like, uh, what's he doing in communication? (laughs) We're trying to figure out these words and these terms. And he did like bring it back around to Mm -hmm. (laughs) communication. Um, And today he fills us in on all of the work, well, not all of the work, but a lot of the work that he's been doing in the past two years since we spoke to him last. That's right. So needless to say, he's been pretty busy, especially with this new administrative gig that he's taken on. But before we get into our conversation with Matt, let's give you a little bit of a roundup since we are officially kicking off season six today. So since we started this podcast, we have aired 90 episodes. That's not too bad at all. Um, For other stats about this podcast, we have an average of 74 listens per episode. At least one episode has been downloaded in 14 different countries. Yay for that. So that means people physically in the countries 14 different countries have downloaded at least one. And the most downloaded episode takes us all the way back to season one when we were all on lockdown, when we got to speak with Dr. Keenan Brown, also from Advertising and Public Relations, about reputation management, image repair, and athletes. There is so much more that we could tell you about this podcast and our statistics, but we don't want to take away too much time from our conversation with our very first guest of the season. All right, so we are going to catch up with Matt um, about the topic of science and risk and communication and more. Um, And without further ado, let's uh, welcome Matt Van Dyke. Welcome, Matt. As we start season six of this podcast, we are kicking off with the fourth in our What's New With series, and we are thrilled to be able to catch up with Dr. Matt Van Dyke. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come back. Oh, that yes. We, <laughs> that gets me thinking. Before we even get into that, you are one of our favorite. No, we can't say that. We're not supposed to say you're <laughs> one of our favorites is all like it's always just so good so much fun yeah so much fun so getting into it matt 
your first test is we're going to start out with a couple of questions. Don't think too hard. These are easy about you. So okay. tell us a little bit about yourself first. Um, where are you from? I am fr- originally, I'm from um, the southwestern tip of Virginia, not to be confused with West Virginia. And I know most people don't care about that, but I do. <laughs> so, um, it's a little town called uh, Rowe, Virginia. If you're, if you're so inclined to, to Google that, there's one red light. Um, it's very close to Bristol, Tennessee, Bristol, Virginia, that tip of Virginia that's very close to West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina. That's the part of the world that I'm from. Nice. And what is it that you do now? Um, A lot of things. Most recently, I'm interim department chair of advertising and public relations as of November, um, which has been a fun um, challenge, um, (laughs) exciting challenge. Um, The other part of my job is I'm an associate professor of public relations um, in the department. And what that consists of is primarily teaching uh, undergraduate master's and Ph.D. level courses, um, primarily related to public relations, but also um, related to public engagement with science, environment and risk, which ties into the research part of my, my position as well. And we're going to hear all about that. However, we always have one more fun question. Okay. What did the young Matt want to be when he grew up? Did you want to be a professor? You know, what's interesting is I actually was thinking about this. I know that the semester, uh, the fall semester is over and I was on my way to work. I was thinking, what did I want to do? (laughs) (laughs) This is actually very timely. Um, And it turns out when I was first, um, you know, in grade school and so forth, I originally wanted to be um, a science teacher and I wanted to drive a school bus and I wanted to coach football. And um, I actually did do a brief stint driving a school bus and um, thought I was going to coach football. Um, And uh, when I got into science courses in college, I thought, you know, I really like science, but I don't like the specifics. I just like talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it just happened that now I figure out how we can better engage the public with science rather than the nuance and the technical um, specifics. You are like wise, like you had a vision and (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't know anything really about coaching football, but I imagine being a department chair is similar. Oh yeah. Calling audibles. (laughs) Yes. Strategy. It's (laughs) very public relations of me too. It's, it's, it's all about strategy and um, I have a soft spot I'm, I'm i'm very passionate about the offensive line which no one everybody likes you know the quarterback or the wide receiver who catches the passes <laughs> you live or die by your offensive line um, yes absolutely if, if the folks up front aren't aren't creating the pocket um you're not going anywhere so <laughs> okay so we i feel like we could put you on the spot and uh ask you to give us the positions of of your team mm-hmm. but uh, we won't do that next right. question <laughs> <laughs> all right Matt. so when we last talked to you which was well i mean it was like last week but mm-hmm. when we last had you on the podcast it was over two years ago and we talked a lot about fracking and i think mm-hmm. we had you give us a definition mm-hmm. um 
But the huge big takeaway from that conversation was that you told us about communication barriers Mm -hmm. that exist when communicating information about science Mm -hmm. and the environment. Mm -hmm. So what what's what you been up to related to that these past two years? You know, um, I've been up to a lot, as we all have for the past two years, Um, but that core question of how to overcome barriers uh, to public engagement has remained constant, which is a good thing. Um, But it's my work has tended to shift a little bit more squarely on the water space um, and the, I guess, the natural disaster space, too. So um, I've been fortunate that some of the grant proposals that I've um, submitted and teams that I've been a part of for the past couple of years, um, we've been fortunate enough to to, ac- to uh, be awarded funding. Whoop, whoop. A lot yay. of yay! And so there are three in particular that are getting ready to kick off or have have kicked off recently. Um, and so I can tell you a little bit about those and how barriers relate to to those. So one is uh, funded by um, NOAA, the National Oce- Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, um, as part of the Alabama Water Institute, University of Alabama uh, Cooperative Institute that was recently um, awarded. Mm-hmm. And I'm collaborating with um, a professor in geography to basically figure out um, how people in the southeastern United States um, seek out and think or or perceive risk related to um, drought, water availability, and flooding. And um, so more focused on water quantity. And what we're doing there is... um, the geographer is going to map out, um, they've got a cool way to, and I'm sorry that I can't be more scientific with how I explain <laughs> a really cool way to uh, map out social vulnerability to this type mm-hmm. of risk. And so um, right now, um, Dr. Shao and her grad student are, you know, going through and creating maps to figure out where social vulnerability exists related to these risks. Um, I'm going to come in later, and once we identify those places, we're going to go into communities that are socially vulnerable, and um, we're going to do interviews and focus groups with both officials uh, of this type of risk information and also community members to see on both sides, from the official standpoint, when you're communicating to the public, and then you're a member of the public also trying to hopefully seek out this information, understand this information. So we're trying to take a more holistic look at where communication and information barriers exist um, and and make recommendations in terms of, uh, you know, whether it's official communication or more bottom-up organic type of uh, information seeking and communication with other folks, um, where those gaps exist and where we can make recommendations. Similar to that, um, there's a, a Mississippi, Alabama Sea Grant uh, that we've just been awarded, and that contact is related to severe weather events along the Mississippi and Alabama Gulf Coast. And uh, we're doing a few different, um, we'll have a, about three different phases on that project. One is a social media analysis to kind of see where, what types of discourse um, emerge around you know, specific weather events leading up to the event, during the event, and then shortly after the event um, to see how discourse kind of evolves over time. And we're also going to do a similar thing where we um, 
have interviews and focus groups with officials and uh, members of the public to kind of see what barriers exist uh, in terms of risk information seeking uh, and processing there. The third grant um, that I'm on actually was with Dr. Steve Holliday and also um, it's being led by um, one of our colleagues, Amanda Coe, over in uh, chemical engineering. She is super brilliant, and she has this really cool way of, of um, she's going to develop a, a type of foam um, that basically filters out water contam contaminants better than what else exists. And, you know, I know that's a very general way to explain that, but that's my understanding conceptually of it. So... Uh, <laughs> My piece that I can't explain is that uh, we're trying to figure out these folks who um, who would adopt this type of technology. So um, this this from my understanding, this type of technology can be scaled up to an industrial level uh, all the way down to, you know, individual consumer level. And so for my piece of it, we're really interested in how water uh, technology professionals, folks who manage water at an industrial scale, um, what factors they consider when they're adopting a new type of water quality technology, um, uh, risk perceptions with that, and also just kind of the decision-making logistics associated with that. So that's in a nutshell, and, and I'm prioritizing the grant funding stuff because those things have deadlines, and, and <laughs> that's very um, salient when you uh, to the question you asked too, but there are other things I could talk about, but that's the most stuff right now. So, in short, you not you haven't really had much going on. <laughs> you need if you need me to come do something, I'm happy to help. <laughs> okay, so Matt, I have a question here. So you mm -hmm. talked about these different projects and they're collaborative. Mm -hmm. Like, wh why do you, why are you, this sound? I don't mean this to be rude, but sure. why are you involved? So what is the, like, why, why can't a chemical engineer do communication studies? Like, where is, why is communication essential in these different projects? Well, I think the first time I was on the podcast, I made a statement that communication is foundational to everything going on around campus. And mm -hmm. I've been beating that drum um, before the <laughs> But luckily, people are hopefully hearing that music. <laughs> no, it, it's honestly, it, 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 it's kind of happened organically. The, the thing that I really love about the university here and particularly people, uh, you know, I'm very involved with the Water Institute, for example. And more so than other places I've been, a lot of people um, just seem to, to understand and appreciate and um crave the type of contribution that communication information scholars can provide. They understand um, the, the necessity of communication and public en engagement. You can have the coolest technology, the best, um, the best, um, the most robust science, um, but it doesn't have the type of impact that it could, or it doesn't realize its full potential if people don't understand how to interpret it or how to use it, or if you don't understand the barriers to people getting the information that you're trying to, to um, transmit to them. And so um, I've been very fortunate that the, 
the context in which I work, that there are people, um, researchers across campus who seek out that type of expertise, but also that we have institutes and, and you know, um, facilitators in the appropriate places to help make those collaborations um, more accessible um, than they would be otherwise. Okay, I have a follow-up, and this tends to be the way all these podcasts go. <laughs> Annalise and I have 29 follow-ups. <laughs> but um, going back to the first project that you were talking about that's funded by NOAA, mm-hmm. looking at how individuals in the southeastern part of the United States perceive uh, risk related to water availability, flooding, mm-hmm grout and all that you use the term social vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. um, and what part of what you're doing is looking at where they exist can you explain to the listeners what that means and how do you determine what social vulnerabilities exist well i think that um i i can identify what it means from my perspective and i think that's a good example of the challenge and nuance with some of these types of collaborations, because even how I would, as a communication scholar who was trained and kind of thinks in terms of from a psychological perspective, you know, risk perception and and um, social vulnerability from a more um, sociological or psych- psychological perspective, my understanding uh, in our initial conversations with, um, you know, my colleague in geography is we don't th- we don't necessarily operationalize social vulnerability in the same way. My understanding of the way that they would be able to map that out would be based on social infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm getting that wrong. Sorry, <laughs> we'll be accurate uh, after you, <laughs> or after we uh, you know develop this more. But um, but that's my understanding of how. Um, you know, they're, they're basically looking at publicly available um, data and indicators that exist through, you know, GIS systems or other um, uh, databases to, to determine what social vulnerability looks like, at least at like a zip code level or, a, you know, community level, some, some type of demography type of, of um, indicators. So, so Matt, I know that we talked last time about your science background, mm-hmm. but how do you, asking for a friend here, how do you <laughs> have confidence to go and like talk to these geography folks, chemical engineering folks, or is it just like we're all scientists, even though I may not be a natural scientist. Um, and so the conversations are not intimidating or are they, or. <laughs> that, that's a, a great question. Um, I, I think all these questions have been great, by the way, <laughs> but that's what, that's one that I haven't necessarily thought about as much. Um, I think for me, um, I was put into a position as a doctoral student, but the, the last two years of my time in my PhD program, I was funded through an interdisciplinary water cluster at Texas Tech. And part of that position was me going, um, you know, to the Water Institute and to other folks around campus and, and being, you know, the, the liaison or trying to be the, li- the liaison between um, 
uh, the college, what, what's the name of our college? I almost said communication information sciences, the equip, um, uh, the college of media and communication at Texas tech and other folks on campus. And I was naive at that point, And I shouldn't have been because, you know, I didn't realize that I knew that people did advertising and, and journalism and so forth. But that type of career was just so foreign to me. Um, I'm from a small community where you're, you're pretty much a teacher, a lawyer, or a doctor, or, you know, you might work in the coal mines or, or do something else, a mechanic, um, something like that, which is totally fun. Um, I, so I didn't realize that people um, worked in ad- advertising or PR, unless, you know, I figured they lived in cities or something like that. And I didn't realize how how accessible a, a position like this could be um, or how transferable a skill set in, mm. in communication and information um, could be. I, I do know now, <laughs> <laughs> but having said that, obviously as a PhD student, by that time you understand um, how useful um, a, a degree in anything that, that we would offer in the type of college that we're in can be. Um, but other colleagues across campus don't necessarily understand that. There was a, a time early on, probably in like 2014, that I was talking to an, uh, an environmental economist, and I, I mentioned where I'm from, and his response was, oh, you're the, your folks are the college, um, you make brochures. And I, said, <laughs> and I thought he was joking, and I said, I said, yeah, that's all we do is we make brochures, and I started laughing. <laughs> And he didn't laugh. <laughs> um, actually, we do a lot of theory-based research. I've never made a brochure, and you probably don't want me to because it's pretty. Um, but it will be strategic. And uh, that um, that really demonstrated to me that, you know, even though we all exist on the same campus and we might have overlap in terms of interest or so forth, uh, we need to do a better job of communicating what our contributions are and what they can be. Mm. So from that point forward, I've always tr- tried to make a concerted, concerted effort wherever I am. It's not just communicating to the public. It's also communicating to folks who could be our colleagues but don't see the natural fit or, um, you know, have topical uh, overlap, and like for my case, environment or science, but don't necessarily think of us as people who do things besides help get the message out or mm-hmm. as after the fact as broader impact. Mm. So I have a follow-up question and it's mm-hmm. kind of a bigger picture one. Um, as you just mentioned, the research that you do is very much theoretically driven mm-hmm. um, and it's not related to developing and creating brochures. Mm-hmm. But as you've described it, it sounds like there's really a significant impact on communities or that there could be a significant mm-hmm. impact on communities based on what you find. Mm-hmm. So with these three projects that you've described, and you can talk about any one of them, mm-hmm. is there like the hope for an outcome that's really applied where it's like, all right, here's what we've learned. And mm-hmm. then you find those who do create brochures <laughs> and yeah. get it into their hands or something it, like that. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the, the, my favorite part of any of these projects is thinking about the potential impact. And it's honestly the reason why I engage in these types of Mm -hmm. 
projects is because, you know, we, we all, those of us who are researchers, you know, we do a study and we can publish it in a journal and so forth. And that's, that's impact. Um, for me, the more intrinsic motivation is, yeah, how can I advance knowledge, but also how can I make these specific contexts a little bit better than perhaps when I first arrived. And so, um, so for me and, and to your question, that's really why I engage in these um, grant proposals, for example, is because there is that community engagement requirement. And also, um, if you you know are fortunate enough to get funding, you have a budget to have more impact than you perhaps could without it. And so um, to your point about brochures or whatever uh, outreach materials uh, or engagement materials you create, you find you actually do have budget items that would allow you to, based on the research that you that you produce and the results you you find, you're able to make um, recommendations to um, decision makers to tell them, you know, I know you're doing this and that's great. People appreciate it. But uh, there seems to be an opportunity to engage on this platform mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your messaging in this way or, um, you know, to to open up this type of forum or something like that. And on the flip side, obviously, um, decision makers are a big part of that or, or official uh, officials who engage in this type of communication. And I think part of, sorry, this is a side tangent. I think part of why it's so important is because a lot of the people in these positions who are, who are tasked with communicating risk information or scientific information, they're oftentimes experts in the technical science or risk piece that they're, that they're overseeing and they desire um, effective communication um, and they want to engage the public, but, um, and it's no fault of, of them or, or anyone like them, but they might not have expertise in communication. So uh, it is our job to help them realize that, you know, there is a body of knowledge that we're not just, you know, creating cool flashy tactics or brochures. Mm -hmm grab people's attention, but there, there's a whole process that we engage in and, and you're, we can help you evaluate the effectiveness too of these different strategies so that you're allocating resources efficiently and effectively and ethically mm. having the type of impact that you would want to have anyway. Mm -hmm. So let me ask this question, and this is not, again, not to call out anyone. Mm -hmm. You're a researcher. Mm -hmm. And do you find that either folks in a community or officials who, you know, exist within a community as well are hesitant to interact with you or hear what you have to say because you're a, you know, fancy researcher or are people generally open and, and engaged with you? At this point, I would say, to be honest, most of my my research has been with with decision makers and mm -hmm. professionals who are doing this type of stuff. Um, obviously, the pandemic put a damper on a lot of community <laughs> community engagement and so mm -hmm. forth. But um, typically, I think um, there is a hesitance hesitancy if people think that they might be identifiable. Mm -hmm. that, particularly if you're asking them stuff that's related to their job function. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've partnered with at other universities who um, 
professionals who work with another individual on campus and they've already got a relationship. And then there's Matt Van Dyke who's cold emailing or cold calling and being like, Hey, I want to talk to you about this research study. Here's an informed consent. Let me know. <laughs> and, and I've found out, you know, that, that luckily I have a relationship with that person that they've reached out to who was also on campus, but, but uh, I've heard stories of them reaching out to, to those folks and being like, Hey, is this legit? Like, is, is this person um, <laughs> going to do anything with my information? Should I participate? And they're like, yeah, he, he's, this is what he does. And this is the type of stuff that he's trying to answer. And so um, I think people have been cautious. I won't say skeptical mm-hmm. or, or hesitant, but just cautious to make sure that, that what, what the type of work I'm doing or we're doing is legit. Um, which is fair. And, um, but I, I think too, part of that is, you know, I think when we think of a university or we think of a researcher, we might think of someone wearing a lab coat or mm-hmm. uh, this, this grand thing, this ivory tower that exists. And, and I've, it's part of my mission to just make all this stuff more accessible. Uh, it's a university is really the people. Yeah, it's a place. It's, it's the people and it's the projects and, and, um, even when I conduct research with, with professionals or with, with the public, I, I try very hard to not be, you know, um, I dress professionally, but I'm, but I've, I've tried to be perceived as just an, you know, I'm Matt, um, and what I, what I study, what I'm passionate about, and I'm, you're an expert too. And that's why I want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. you mm-hmm got you've got stuff to share and otherwise we wouldn't be talking to you and or you know Mm. and so forth so um there are no right or wrong answers and i really appreciate and value your time Mm. and i think that goes a long way too and in helping to um to make people feel comfortable and also think you know what yeah i I do have stuff to share and and i should feel comfortable doing that absolutely and i think that certainly crosses Um, all the areas of research that we do. I mean, the key is if we're going into communities and talking to people, we want to present ourselves as accessible to them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not white coats, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the experts and we're just taking stuff from them and not considering their perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Um, We are getting to the wrap up section of this podcasts and it has been so much fun hearing about what you've been doing over the last two years but before we end this we definitely want to get a few recommendations from you because you know we're going to be starting a a new year people need to know what to watch what to read and all that sort of yeah the important stuff absolutely so what is your favorite tv show or what are you watching right now that you would recommend Right now, because of the time of year and it's salient, Yellowstone. It's we've got to see what's going on with uh, with Rip and Beth. Um, every, <laughs> every, um, so yeah, Yellowstone. Um, I also find myself uh, coming home of the evening and watching um, the Great British Baking Show as needed. Oh, valid. Luckily, totally. luckily on Netflix, you can watch the reruns. So yes, and, yes, I do. Yeah. Same. <laughs> And football, football. <laughs> okay, you have successfully answered that question. What are you? Uh, what are you reading, or what book can you recommend? 
Um, well, the, the people probably aren't interested in the books that I signed for my courses. Um, I am, I have a stack of about three mystery thriller books that I'm going to hopefully read, um, over, over the break. I can't remember the titles, but, but any good, um, mystery thriller type, uh, of fiction book. And it seems to be the ones that take place in Europe are the ones that I'm drawn to. <laughs> That's fun. That's a recommendation. Yeah. Um, what is a movie that we all need to see right now? So a couple of lighthearted, um, if you just want to escape, laugh a little bit. Um, I think the last two movies, uh, my wife and I went and watched um, the George Clooney um, and Julia Roberts movie, uh, Ticket to Paradise, I think. And um, The Lost City with Channing Tatum and, and Sandra Bullock, those were both uh, lighthearted and, and fun, um, if you don't want to think. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm down for. All right, Matt, last question yep. is, if your life was a reality show or if you could pick a reality show to be on, what would that be? Easy. The Amazing Race. <gasps> yes. Oh. I love that answer. Yeah. Uh, you get to see so much and do cool things. And I would just need to make sure that that my wife and I as the team, she's very good at things like that. And so I would just want to make sure that I don't bring the team down. But I mean, I think that if it's, we should figure out how to pull off an yeah. amazing race um submission to the actual show that mm-hmm. is professor edition because we've got a couple of we've got a couple of teams identified it now. could be a, a fun study abroad proposal oh stop it right oh, now oh 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 <laughs> you, yeah. you have gone too far matt communication like that group communication <laughs> But I mean, you and your wife, the doctors, the white coat doctor, the professor doctor, how lovely would that be? That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I would tune into that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it has been so great catching up with you. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about what you've been doing these last two years. This has been super fun. So thank you. Well, thank you both again for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. Absolutely.